Acts 14, verses 1 to 10. We've been talking about this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, and last week we talked about them being driven out of Pisidian Antioch because there were some, some folks in the city that really did not agree with their message. They were at odds with it, so they kind of stirred up the crowds and they pushed them out. And there was another group that wholeheartedly received their message. And last week's message was titled, Move On. So speak to the people that are listening. That was the basis of last week. And so today we kind of want to build on that and really ask the question, why is it important to speak to the people that are listening and to move on? And we're going to see some practical examples of that today. So verse 1 of chapter 14. And it came about that in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and they spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who, dis, uh, who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and, and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And at Lystra there was, a, uh, there was sitting a certain man without strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze upon him, and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and he began to walk. Amen. We'll stop there. Uh, this traveling ministry, this journey that Paul and Barnabas are going on, in going through the regions there, in uh, preaching the gospel, in speaking to Jews and non-Jews, uh, they've encountered so many different folks. They've, um, they've encountered people who were wholeheartedly rejoicing at their presence, at their words. They were melting. Uh, they, their ears were, were like these satellite dishes, just ready to, to soak in every last syllable. And there were others that were completely shut in the heart. And uh, I, I think to uh, a certain extent we can understand this. Maybe not in the realm of preaching per se, but we've all spoken to people that wholeheartedly loved our presence and soaked in everything we had to say. And we've been around people that were com completely only thinking about themselves, not interested in what we had to say, and so closed off to that. And Paul and Barnabas are experiencing this in their ministry. And uh, last week we said, speak to the people that are listening. And that's such a, a practical thing to say to you in, in your daily life. And in the realm of faith, I'll say that because of my first main point, and it's this. When faith meets faith, lives change, right? When, when faith meets faith, things happen. If I have faith and I speak to an individual that has faith, there's a certain spiritual transaction and chemistry that is happening here, right? And the title of this message, A Flame to Gasoline, that's just speaking of this, that whenever there's an explosive material, it needs some form of ignition, right? 
And so you have something that can combust. You need something to ignite it to bring about that action, that explosion. And it must happen, right? That both a healer and the one being healed needs to have faith. It has to happen on both sides, right? That God can do anything in our lives, but He seems to limit His actions to the boundary of our faith, right? So God can actually do anything He wants, right? And so He wants to, to pour forth things into our lives, but the, the boundary in which He will use or go about in His actions is really somewhat confined to the boundary of my faith, how far I will allow or believe that He can go. And if I believe him to go this far, that's even though he can do so much more, in a sense, it, it corrals him. Now, I don't mean that saying that we limit God because God is unlimitable, that he can do things beyond my faith. He can do things whether I like it or not, whether I agree with it or not. God is not bound by that. But when it comes to how he wants and chooses to relate to the people of faith, to his children, he says that I will move within the realm I choose to. I choose to move within that realm, and we find that a lot. And when God wants to do great things, what He does is He grows the faith of His people. Because if He grows the faith of an individual, the capacity in which His actions can kind of ruminate, germinate, and, and, and have an impact in that life, it tends to grow. And so if God wants to do more in your life, what He'll try to do is to grow your faith. Because when faith meets faith, when anointing meets faith, something happens. Lives change, right? If you think about it, you can have a great teacher, right? You've probably, I mean, think about your, your student days, right? When you were either motivated or unmotivated, however you were, right? And you probably passed by in your 12 years of grade school, through college, grad school. However, you've had great teachers and professors and you've probably had bad ones, right? But no matter how great the teacher, there needs to be a receptive student. If there is a blockage in the student, meaning for whatever reason he or she is unmotivated, came to class but not listening, taking notes but really disengaged, no matter how great and, uh, the teacher is and the wealth of information that is being trans transferred to all the students in the class, there is literally a blockage of flow if there is an unreceptive student. Same thing with parenting. You can have great parenting, but it, it can change to the, to the child if there are multiple children in the family. If you think about the new ideas that are out there, right? a new idea needs a believing investor. Think about it, right? I mean, it needs to take a person who wants to back the idea, who believes in that. And so you need the person who created the idea backed by an investor who believes in that idea for that really to be lifted off the ground. And there needs to be this double-sided thing, a balance of faith. One from its creator, one from its receiver, one from the giver, one from the one who it's being trying to, uh, to, to, to interact with. There needs to be faith on both ends. And we see that here. Paul entered the city of Lystra and he saw a man. And it is not, uh, uh, what is it, wrong for him to say. It is very interesting how he says that when he saw that he had the faith to be made well. And so in a sense, he's walking the streets of Lystra and he's scanning for faith. That's what he's doing, right? He's, he's going about the cities and there were more people that needed to be healed than this lame man. 
right? But as he's walking the streets, there was something in the eye contact, right? There was something in the conversation maybe that they had when they were first saw each other, encountered one another, right? And so as Paul is walking, he sees a man that's just sitting on the ground, maybe laying on the ground, and somehow as he saw him, he saw that he had the faith to be made well. And after he had recognized the faith, what does he say? He speaks with boldness. Hey, get up! And he leaps to his feet. And so this idea that Paul had faith is a great thing. He, he had probably the faith to make everybody in the city well. Right? Wherever he went on this missionary journey, I'm sure he wanted to see 100% of the crowd come to Jesus. I'm sure he wanted to see 100% of the sick folks be healed. But that didn't happen. And as he's going about, limited in his time and energy and resources, he goes and he sees individuals who have faith and he interacts with them because he understood this idea of faith meeting faith. That God wants to flow uh, an anointing or a power into creation, into the world. And uh, he wants to bless our lives. And I, I give you this example of explosive material needing ignition to speak of, of another analogy. You go into your kitchen, right? And you have a faucet. And there are two ways to stop the flow of water here. The easy way is on top, right? You just go to the top there and then you, and you shut it off. The other way to, to stop the flow of water is to go to the piping down underneath the cabinet, right? And if you block it on top or on bottom, either way, no water will flow out, right? And so if you think about how God wants to bless your life, right? If, if God has opened the valve to your life, right? And He is saying, I want to bless you. I want to give you a wealth of, of, of knowledge and faith and all of these great things into your life or your family or your community. And He has opened the valve. If our valve on our end is shut, there's no water flow. On the other end, if God's not doing anything and we're saying, God, do something, water's still not coming out. And so there needs to be an opening on both sides here for the, for the water to flow, for God's anointing, blessing, healing to flow into a life, to have an impact, and to actually fill this basin with water. And so faith needs faith. Let me give you a passage, Matthew chapter 18. It says this, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And of course, I highlighted for you some key words, right? First verse, 19, two. We're, we're two individuals. But it's not just two individuals praying, right? There, there's, a, there's an operative word here. There's a key idea of agreement, this idea of two people actually agreeing is, in a sense, faith meeting faith. Right? And where two or three have gathered, not just where two people are under the same roof, but there needs to be a sense of togetherness. There needs to be a unity amongst the individuals. And so it's not just when two people pray. It's not just when two people are in the same room. What we see here is Jesus is saying when two people have an agreement, when there is a spiritual agreement between them and faith meeting faith, when two or three people have gathered not just in the same location, but there is a togetherness about them, a unity. 
When that happens, when they've gathered for a common vision and purpose of worship, something happens in that space. It transforms that prayer and that worship gathering. And it is the idea that when individuals interact with other individuals in faith, something exponentially happens in their gatherings, in their lives. And so faith needs faith. And when that happens, lives change. The second thing I'll say is when persistence meets God's timing, lives change. Okay? You know, in, in some way, I, I think that this, it says he's a man. I don't know how old he was, right? And so let's just say anywhere between 20 to 50 years old, let's just say. He didn't call him an old man, okay? The man, okay? And if I were to think, let's say he's 30, 35 years old, in, in some way, I think it's quite amazing that this guy had faith. Let's, let's think about it for a second. It's one thing to have had your legs and then to have been paralyzed for whatever reason, during, for an accident later in life, and then to have lost them. So you know what it feels like to walk and to run and to utilize your legs, to not be confined by, and to, to not be immobile. You, you know what that feels like. And it's a completely other thing to have been born lame, because that's what this man was. And when you have never understood what it meant to walk, maybe when you were younger, you saw the other kids running and playing, and you said, oh, you kind of dreamed of it. It would be nice. But I think it's easier for a person who, have, who was born that way to have simply consigned his life to a life of immobility. Right? Because if, if you don't know what, if you've been born colorblind, you don't even know what red is. I mean, is there a really a hunger to know what color is? Maybe, but the real, the, the taste of, of understanding the crispness of red to the coolness of a blue, that really hasn't been felt. And so that hunger and desire to want to, to see color, is it the same for a person who has experienced the vividness of an orange and then to have lost that capacity and that ability? And so this man, have being born lame and growing right into adulthood his entire life, he's never known what it's meant to walk. Everybody's pushed him around. That's it. His life was probably just that of a beggar. And so somehow this man, having faith at that space in his life, I think is a miracle. I think it's a miracle, right? It's amazing that he has had faith here in this moment. And this is what Saul, what Paul sees. This past week, God kind of kicked my butt a little bit. Um, he did it through a message that I preached almost two years ago. You know, every week after I, I preach on a Sunday, I monitor my own sermons. You know, I, I listen to it and I watch it on YouTube. And I, I do this because I, I want to get better. Uh, and the best way to do that is to monitor yourself, to understand uh, where the groping sounds are, where uh, things were unnecessary, or where you got a little over or uh, under. And you get to kind of see that. And so as I was monitoring my sermon this past week, on the sidebar of YouTube, a sermon title just popped out, one that I had preached a couple of years ago. It was New Year's, the first Sunday of uh, 2016. And I had preached a message called Light and Darkness that Sunday. And the title caught my eye at that moment, so I just clicked on it and I listened to the first part and I just kept on listening right through the end. And um, this particular message was based on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And 
the, the first verse, it starts out, there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under the sun. And the purpose of this message was to say that contrast is a part of life. That there is light and darkness, life and death. And that contrasts are not only a part of life, it is actually a sign of God's involvement in our lives. When there's contrast, balance, we should not want only good things for our lives and none bad. That there is the presence of both. And this passage went on, right? And it goes through the first eight verses, right? And it says, uh, there's a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. To weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance. To throw stones, to gather them. To embrace, to shun embracing. To search, but then to give up. To keep, to throw away. To tear apart, to sew together. To be silent, or to speak, to love, to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And I told you that message on that Sunday. This was never meant to be this poetic statement of good versus bad. It wasn't to say that all of the first is good and all of the second is bad. It wasn't supposed to be that. And it's simply a statement that this will be. And it's not saying that war is better than peace or that love is better than hate. It is not saying those things here. It is not saying that giving birth is better than dying. It is saying that you will give birth and you will die. You will dance. You will have joy. You will bring together. You will search. You will gather. You will build. You will love. But there will be moments where you will uproot and kill and tear down and weep and mourn. Stones will be cast and things will be torn apart. That there's balance here. And that we ought to expect both in our lives. And for this man, right, going back to the passage here in Acts, being born lame for his entire life, he was immobile, dependent upon the people around him. And how easy it would have been to consign his entire life to that type of existence. But the key is this. He was only immobile till that day. God is able to flip a switch in our lives at any moment. At any moment, things can turn. And it can turn from giving birth to dying, from planting to uprooting. And I mentioned to you, are you in a winter? I guarantee you summer will come. Is it cold at night right now? I promise you, the sun will rise. And as, 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 as sure as the seasons turn, as promising as it is that the sun will rise and it will set, so it is in our lives. Are we with lack? There will be a moment when there will be plenty. Are we miserable are we hated and despised? There will be a moment if we will hang on to the other side of this balance. Have we completely lost hope and forgotten? There will be a moment in which we will search and find. And for this man who was born lame and lived his entire life up until that point, immobile and dependent, it switched that day. Because he persevered. And somehow he hung on day after day after day, year after year after year, and likely decade after decade. 
And suddenly one day something turned. Persistence paid off, if I can say it that way. And he encountered a man by the name of Paul, who was driven out of the previous city and came by force just to save his life to the city that he dwelt in. Walked down a path that he had sat for years. And somehow he set his gaze upon him and saw that something was there. And his life changed. Night turned into day. Death became life. Darkness switched on to light. Perseverance. Persistence. There is great value there. I think I've said this to you before. Perseverance is only second to love in my book. Second only to love is perseverance. If you want to think about the quality that will change your life, love is first. Love is the greatest. If you will live a life filled with love for others and for God, your life will be great. But if you want to know on a daily basis what will impact your life, I want to say it's persistence. Persistence. The ability to persevere, to go through, some will call it grit, to grind through life and to know that I can make it through this in faith. This is not the end of my life here, that I I can take another step, that I can live another day, that I can make another good decision, that I can get through this. That character quality, that value, that strength, it will take you places. And that persistence, you might want, I'll persevere for a day or a week or a month, and you want that perseverance to pay off after 30 days, but it might not be that. Perseverance, in God's eyes, His timing might be not days or weeks or months. It might not even be years. Job's life, he had everything at the beginning of his life. Satan stripped everything away under the the acknowledgement of God. And as in how many years was lived in poverty, in pain, in loneliness, and only towards the end of his life were things granted back to him. And so we say, I'll persevere. It's not something that you say, I'll do it for a day or a week. It's something that you say, this is the thing that I'll live my life on. I will love the Lord. And I will persevere. Second Peter, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like a day. I don't know if this encourages or discourages you. I mean, right? Think about it. If you're like wanting the bliss and the happiness of God's blessings to last like a thousand years, maybe it encourages you, right? But maybe if it's like, you know, darkness, maybe it's like, oh, is this day going to be like a thousand years to God? Like, you know, how long do I have to wait to get out of this thing, right? Maybe it, maybe it pushes you back a little bit. I don't know. But what is key here is to understand that the idea of, of projecting upon God our ideas of right timing is completely wrong, right? That for the Lord, a day can be like a millennium. Galatians 4, but when the set time, the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Nothing with God is random in our lives. The set time. 
the set moment. The first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3 I read. Here's verse 11 of that chapter. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What this verse is saying is that there is some part of your mind and heart that can kind of grasp eternity, right? You can kind of understand there's more to life than this. That there is this idea of living forever with God and there is a glimpse of that, a glimmer of that, an idea of that can, that can, can, can anchor in your heart. But the full idea of everything that God has done from beginning to end, that no man can understand. But what we must understand with the glimpse that we have is that everything is beautiful in its time. And remember the context of this verse, the first part of chapter 3, giving birth and death, love and hate, peace and war, searching and giving up. There's a time for all of that. And what God is saying, all of that is beautiful. That all of those moments of bliss and heartache are beautiful when looked at together. And so, it's persevering through hate and war and losing things and disappointment. Things being torn out of our hands and torn apart. It's being able to persevere through those moments. The moments that we want to, to go away so quickly. It's about being able to get through those things to understand that that is a part of the beauty in getting to the, to the bright of day, to the warmth of summer, to the joy of finding and climbing. That that's all a part of it. And that we must persevere. Praise team, come back. I close with these two things. First is this. Know the power of a faith agreement. Know that power. If you will have faith and you encounter somebody else that has faith, in that same thing, something miraculous can happen. That is a promise. If a community will gather in like-minded faith agreement with a common vision, great things can happen. If you and a spouse can agree to, to a life together, to a certain way, an amazing thing can happen in your family. If you and your company, you with your sibling, you with your parent, you with your friend, if there can be a faith agreement, a powerful thing can happen. Understand that. Second is this. God's timing is not always preferred, but it is perfect. The sooner we realize this, the happier we are. Amen?